NBA source told me series doesn't start till a team wins on the road. Okay, maybe nobody said that. I was just reading Twitter. But series returns home to Salt Lake City where the Jazz and the Clippers are tied 2-2. Since the last time we talked, things have changed. We'll quickly discuss that and get to ESPN's Tim McMahon on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga. Podcast is brought to you by Vivint, the nation's number one smart home service provider. They're teaming up with the Utah Jazz during the playoffs. For every Jazz assist, and in Utah's mind, not enough the last two games, Vivint will send one kid to STEM summer camp. Together we can match success on the court with success in the classroom. Nominate a kid in your area at vivint.com STEM and follow Vivint on social media to see who wins. This is the series that I was talking about last time out with Cassidy Hubberth. The chess match between Quinn Snyder and Ty Lue. Those first two games, they went perfectly for the Jazz. In that, they could pick up two wins at home without Mike Conley. And with Ty Lue still getting his bearings from the series before, trying to understand the adjustments that you have to make for this team. Well, now Lue has found it. And Lou has made the adjustments, very smartly has gone to the small lineup to play against the Jazz, and he's deployed different defensive tactics on Donovan Mitchell. Donovan can't get 47 against the Clips and think that things are going well. So what do they do? They send that double team, they shade over to him, try to get the ball out of his hands, and it's incumbent on the role players to score points keep the Jazz in the game. And over that two games in L.A., hasn't happened. You have to wonder how much is left for Donovan to give when he's consistently putting up 30-point games. Six straight already. And that's tied for the franchise lead with Carl Malone. He's playing like a playoff-caliber superstar. And I talk about this with Tim. There's not much you can do when he's playing this well and the result isn't going that way. The, the last adjustment, it would appear, isn't to change things up, employ something funky. This might be the time, if you're Quinn Snyder, rely on what got you there. More minutes for Rudy Gobert. He plays 32 in Game 4. Can he hover around 40 minutes in Game 5? Because we know what Rudy can provide in a playoff game. Game 7 against the Nuggets in the second half there has been no more dominant of a performance defensively for Rudy than that game. He was everywhere. And as the clips go small, Jazz need to double down on what they're doing offensively, which you could tell without Mike Conley, it's going fast. It's trying to get up and down the floor, get points in transition, get those easy buckets, not get into the half court where things could be more difficult. This is another thing that we touched on, which is identity. While Utah was such an offensive juggernaut during the regular season, I think this might be the time to say we have to lean in heavily to that defensive identity, something that you saw with other Quinn Snyder-led teams. It's not to change and make these radical adjustments to the way that you play, but it's more leaning in to what you're good at and this might be more of a defensive-led series 
for the Jazz. You're going to need Boyan Bogdanovich and Royce O'Neal to play good defense on Kawhi and Paul George because they're continually dicing you up. And if they play that way for the rest of the series, it's going to be a long one because Kawhi and Paul George is exactly what they wanted on that day that it all came together in Las Vegas. I was there. I was sitting at a Korean barbecue place, and instantly as the news comes out, an unnamed NBA reporter whips out his computer, just going to town on what this means. Sent shockwaves across the NBA. So, what do the Jazz have in them? We'll see. There's going to be a pregame show digitally. Check it out, utahjazz.com, and also on the Utah Jazz Facebook pregame show. Getting you set for Game 5, as it's going to be Wednesday, and we get into the playoff nomenclature. Stave enters the lexicon. Critical Game 5. Decisive Game 7. Those combination of words we don't use anymore. Kind of like series doesn't start until a team wins on the road. No, the series has started. Been started. And now the Jazz need to go out there and defend home court again. We'll have you covered on utahjazz.com. Also, make sure to check out the RiffCast. Wherever you got this podcast, check out the RiffCast. T-H-E space R-I-F-F-C-A-S-T. The RiffCast. Wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Please let others know that you're listening to the podcast because you don't want them to miss out on Tim McMahon, ESPN's NBA reporter, covers the Texas and Utah regions, been around the team for a while, get his read on this series as it is 2-2 heading back home to Utah. Where does he see it? How does he see Game 5 playing out? We ask Ben McMahon. Please enjoy. We looked great in the first couple games. Donovan Mitchell was uh, was absolutely dominant. I thought that, uh, you know, especially game two, that it was a, a, a pretty dominant defense performance by the Jazz. And then, you know, the Clippers basically got what they wanted uh, going back to uh, to L.A. And so um, and I, I'm, I'm wondering if we're seeing kind of a cumulative effect uh, of the workload on Donovan. You know, he's still getting his points, obviously, last night not as efficient, but there's obviously a lot on him to be um, the primary and sometimes the sole creator of offense. And obviously, you know, that's where you really miss a, uh, a Mike Conley Jr. Um, and then look, the Clippers just shot the ball really, really well uh, in a couple games in LA. So, you know, the good news for the Jazz is it's not like points carry over from game to game. You know, and honestly, I'm not a huge believer of uh, – Oh, the momentum in a series. You know, I, I, I think for most parts, each game is kind of the, it's uh, its own entity. So both teams protected their home court. It's a best of three at this point. Now the Jazz earned home court advantage. Um, and, you know, so we'll see how the series goes from here. Well, thankfully, the points don't carry over. It would be minus 40 across two games for the Jazz if that were the case. What has changed? from the adjustments that Ty Lue has enacted, finding a rotation in those first two games and then actually enacting it come game three. Yeah, he has. It, it took him a couple of games of, of tinkering, really kind of figure out uh, what his rotation would be. Um, you know, honestly, I thought he did a big favor to the Jazz by going back to the big lineup yeah. in game two. You don't want to put uh, Zubas out there against the, uh, the Jazz starting lineup. That's just an invitation to run 
you know, pick and roll, put him in pick and rolls. He'll drop down over the wood, walk into either wide open threes or wide open, you know, mid-range jump shots that, you know, he's going to hit. So, you, they, you know, they have to start small. Um, so, you know, I think they, they've figured that out. Um, they figured out that, that Pat Beverly, uh, you know, is a guy who needs to get playing time in this series, you know, specifically uh, to defend Donovan Mitchell. And they've, they've figured out that Terrence Mann is a, is a guy who needs to play in this series. You know, Rondo has fallen out of the rotations. Um, the DeMarcus Cousins experiment uh, has ended. And honestly, he was more effective than I thought because I just thought that, you know, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because he's not going to be able to finish around Rudy uh, if you look at it, you know, from a big picture. Um, and then defensively, he's, <laughs> you know, there's a reason he's a third string center uh, at this point in his career and was unemployed for a couple months in the middle of the season. So Tyler's figured out his rotation, um, you know, and, and, and we will see what, if any, adjustment, well, there will be some, we'll see what adjustments uh, Quinn Snyder can make. You know, obviously the adjustment he'd love to be able to make is Mike Conley's back and can start. Um, I, I, I'm not a real confident we're going to see that um, simply because, you know, if you look at his history of hamstring troubles, you know, it's not real difficult to say, okay, well, it was tightness in that hamstring late in the season. He missed nine games. That was a 17-day period. Well, and then you do the math, like, uh-oh, that might be this whole series. What are the adjustments to make without Mike Conley being able to come back? I mean, rotationally, I think you can try to extend the minutes of Rudy Gobert. Uh, you know, obviously, Rudy needs to stay out of foul trouble to make that uh, possible. But, you know, there, there's just there has been a dramatic drop off, um, especially on the defensive end of the floor when when Rudy's resting. I think you have to try to extend the minutes of, of Joe Ingles, but that's dangerous, too, because, you know, at, at what point do you hit diminishing returns? You know, especially if he's going to be asked to, to carry a significant part of the uh, uh, of the playmaking duties. Um, you know, I, I think George Niang is, is a really nice developmental success story for the Jazz. He has looked overmatched in this series. I, I think they've got to find a way to really uh, limit his time on the floor. And so, you know, I, I think they're going to have to put more on, uh, you know, really their top six guys. Uh, you know, if Conley's not going to be in the mix and, you know, we're talking about limited favors minutes even more and, and limiting uh, the Yang's minutes even more. What have you made of what Kawhi has done even looking at that series before where Lou yeah. deploys him on Luca to limit what he's able to do and also carrying such a big load offensively. Yeah. And then look, you know, he says his knee is fine. There's a reason he left the game in the fourth quarter. So that's obviously something that's uh, we're going to keep an eye on moving forward in the series, but Kawhi is an absolute machine. Uh, you know, like you said, I covered the Mavericks jazz series, his game six in Dallas, is one of the best playoff performances I've ever seen live. I mean, this guy had 45 points efficiently and was shutting Luca down, uh, you know, late in that game, down the stretch of the game, shutting Luca down on one end, you know, hitting tough jump shots on the other end. Um, you know, hey, he's a he's a superstar. He's a surefire first dot Hall of Famer. He's a two-time Finals MVP. It is not going to be easy to beat a Kawhi Leonard team in the playoffs. You know, he's he's just he's there's superstars and then there's, you know, just top echelon type of players. And, and he's in that top echelon. And 
You know, I think you've seen that in these last, and you know, the first couple of games, he was okay by his standards. These last couple of games though, you know, that that's the dude who, uh, when you're, when you're looking at the series, you know, he's the reason why Quinn Snyder doesn't ever sleep. Well, and it has to help when you have Paul George going the way that he is having both of them go back to back 30 point games and, Finally, it's it's sort of the Clippers that everybody envisioned on that night in Las Vegas where there was the earthquake of Zion. We all remember that night where we were when, when this all happened. This is the team that they envisioned all coming together, and, and you're seeing it in this series, don't you think? Yeah, and, and Paul George obviously got a little bit of con- confidence going back to L.A., going back to the Staples Center. We'll see if that travels uh, to Salt Lake City. Hopefully he can avoid the nightlife and get his, uh, get his sleep. Um, but you know, and it's not just those guys, you know, Marcus Morris shot the heck out of the ball yeah. last night. Um, you know, really just as, as a team, they shot the ball really well. And so, um, you know, we'll see how they, you know, how, how that, uh, transitions when they go back into a hostile environment. And then, you know, the jazz have to play better defensively. They need to, they need to give the home crowd a reason to, you know, the, the crowd will be into the game. The Jazz need to give them a reason to stay in the game. They need to kind of feed off that energy and create more energy. I'd point exactly to game one when the when Favors blocks and the crowd was on top of I was talking to Noah Eagle, and he said that the building was shaking as he was doing mm-hmm. his radio broadcast. It, was, it got so loud. How have you seen Rudy defending this series as they're trying to go with that small lineup and make things difficult for him. He can take advantage of it on the offensive boards. We didn't see in the last two games, but that's just an area that he could potentially uh, break through for this team. Yeah. Game three, I did not think was a good performance by Rudy uh, on the defensive end of the floor. I thought that there were times where he kind of looked uncertain and hesitant. Um, Look, game three wasn't a good performance by really anybody, (laughs) anybody for the jazz, but um, you know, he, it's obviously a tough assignment for him because most of the time he's going to have to be guarding a shooter, whether it's Batum, whether it's Morrison. So his responsibility is to be able to impact uh, things in the paint and still get out and challenge shooters. And I think he's up to that task. Um, you know, certainly game two, I thought was, was, uh, was, was phenomenal work by him. Game one, obviously, you know, blocking the shot to, to save the victory. But, uh, you know, they really, again, they need, they need Rudy to stay out of foul trouble. And, you know, he has to really put his fingerprints all over uh, game five. You know, I, game four, I thought he was okay. Got in the early foul trouble. You know, I thought he was, he was pretty active and impactful in the second half. But when you get down 29 points, what happens in the second half really isn't that important. It seems as if the identity of this team changes if Mike Conley's not on the floor. They they have to be more incumbent defensively mm-hmm. before they're out to score. And the roster looks a little bit more offensive when you don't have Mike Conley out there in, in the way that he's been defending as of late. Does that make sense, that identities switch without Mike Conley? Uh, I, I, you know, I think their, their identity, they always want to kind of keep that same identity, and that's aggressively... Uh, you know, aggressively taking threes, aggressively attacking the rim, uh, you know, ball movement, you know, obviously the defense built around Gobert. Um, I think without Conley, 
pace becomes that much more important because they are they aren't nearly as effective as as a half court offense. That's why I think they really where they really miss Conley is in those half court offenses, and it becomes way too reliant uh, on Donovan to you know sometimes just go one against the world uh, and have to create everything. Whereas when you have Conley, you know, you're always going to have a, 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 another creator on the floor, you know, and, and I mean, they really miss the Conley Gobert pick and roll, you know, especially the way that Conley shot the ball uh, in the first round. I think they miss him as a, as a, a, you know, an off ball shooting threat, but they also miss him as a guy who, you know, look, you can get him the ball. Rudy's going to come set the screen. You can, you know, get into your, your offense off of that and, He's become so good at just coming off that screen, finding a little space, getting the three, you know, obviously getting downhill, he's shooting a little floater. The chemistry's developed with Rudy on the lob and, or just attacking the paint and, you know, and, and kicking it out to shooters. Um, so I, I really think it's in that half-court offense uh, that, that his, his presence is missed the most. Are we seeing a different Donovan Mitchell averaging 32 points per game? He clearly took a step in last year's postseason against the Nuggets, but him repeating with similar performances this year, how do you see him on that scale where you mentioned Kawhi with the apex predators and then mm-hmm. that superstar level? Yeah, I, I, I think you're seeing the same Donovan Mitchell that you saw in last year's playoffs. And so you do this two straight postseasons, and, you know, it, it's, it's basically proven, okay, that was not a fluke last year. And, and Donovan is a star player who has proven that he can elevate his game in the playoffs. He has proven that he can often take over playoff games, and that, to me, is kind of the definition of a superstar. And so, you know, I, I think we can end the debate, oh, is Donovan Mitchell a superstar? No, I think he's proven you know, he is a superstar caliber player. Now, you know, does that mean he'll be all NBA? You know, I don't know. Because I, I I think if you start looking at the list of guards in the league, there's probably more than six superstar guards. But he's absolutely uh, proven to me that he's at that level. Now, Apex Predator, those, those guys have rings. Or, you know, yeah. you know Kawhi's got two finals MVPs. And, you know, when he start, So he still has room to, to climb. But uh, this is a superstar. I don't, I don't think there's any question about it. You cannot have as many spectacular playoff performances as he has and, uh, and still have those kind of doubts. Is the next step more playmaking for him? I think he's taken that step, honestly. Um, and, you know, with, with Donovan, the, the playmaking is not always going to be reflected directly in assist totals. You know, there, he's going to have some you know, eight, nine, 10 assist nights. But I, I, I don't think you can just look at assists and say, well, uh, you know, Don only had four assists in that game. It, because a lot of times, you know, you, you guys hear Quinn and, and, and the jazz players talk about the blender all the time. A lot of times it's Donovan breaking the paint, you know, making the right read. And then that read, maybe it's, maybe it's a hockey assist, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, just starting the ball movement. Um, and so, you know, Donovan can make plays and not get assists, but his penetration, his read is the reason that the ball, you know, ball movement started in. He might not, it might not even be the pass that leads to the, the assist. It might be, you know, four or five passes later, but you don't get that ball movement without Donovan 
uh, creating and without him making the right reads. And, you know, I, I think he's made huge. And again, the thing about Donovan that I think people forget, he wasn't, you know, as, he was a role player as a freshman in college. You know, basketball wasn't even his main sport until he was 16. He never had as much offensive responsibility at any level as he did as a rookie with the Jazz. So this is a guy who's really uh, just, I think, taking significant steps year after year after year to the point now where Donovan Mitchell can be your point guard in playoff games and, and you're going to have a chance to win those games. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he has really grown as a playmaker during his time in the league. Contrast that with the way uh, Luca was brought up in basketball, and it's mm -hmm. been a lot on him incumbent to be the playmaker in those situations. Game five, looking ahead to it. How do you think it goes? Uh, where do you see the direction of the series after that critical game? Well, I got Jazz and seven as my as my pre pre series prediction. So if it's going to be Jazz and seven, they better get Game five. Um, you know, so far home court advantage is held. Uh, I'm I'm going to stick with that. You know, obviously, you know, keep going back. I, I don't get a great feeling that Conley's coming back for Game five. And, you know, perhaps I'll be proven wrong. It's just, you know just reading the tea leaves. I, I don't get a great feeling there. Uh, you know, again, it'll. I think it'll be interesting to see how Kawhi is moving. Um, but I, I feel like coming home to Utah, uh, you know, the, the the Jazz will come out, play significantly better than they did the Staples Center. And so, you know, stick with my, my pre-series prediction. I'll, I'll go with the Jazz getting game five. Just get you out on this. Whoever makes it through, what's awaiting them in the Suns? How impressive were they in their Western Conference semifinals matchup? they're going to be tough. They're yeah. going to be tough. They're going to be well-rested, which especially with, you know, 36-year-old Chris Paul matters. Um, and I tell you what, the Suns, man, if it's it really either way, Chris Paul is, is playing at, at such a high level now. And just he's in control all the time. And I think he's an especially tough cover for the Jazz because he takes the shots that the Jazz defense is kind of designed to give up. You cannot give up those you know, mid-range jump shots to Chris Paul. He will feast on those. And so, you know, that'll be an adjustment. And then, you know, I think what we've seen for the young, you know, the, oh, the Suns, they don't have playoff experience. You know, these guys, how are they going to handle the bright lights? Devin Booker's more than ready for this. You know, this guy's lit it up, especially in closeout games. DeAndre Ayton has all-star appearances in his future. You know, he might never be the best player in his draft class, but he's going to have a really good career at 22. He's a force on both ends right now. You know, Bridges is, is a heck of a 3 and D player. I mean, it's not just Chris Paul. He's got a cast around him. And so uh, whether it's the Clippers, whether it's the Jazz, the Sun's going to make it tough. Donning a Salt Lake Summer League shirt, Tim McMahon on Ramball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate you having me.